We're going to be in the book of Revelation. If you want to go ahead and turn there, the second chapter, while you're turning, let me uh, share a couple of words of thanks. First of all, thanks, Tanya, for what you're doing. When you're the staff person and the pastor transitions out, then everything gets sent your way. And uh, so thanks for what you're doing there, and you continue to support her in your prayers. Uh, I want to thank your board for the work they've done. Uh, they have, uh, see, when, when you're not on the board, you just kind of get an announcement. You don't realize they have met and met and met and prayed and sought God's will. And uh, they're at the point of uh, recommending to you a candidate, uh, Pastor Wes Brown, who has served uh, many places throughout our district, served well, left churches much stronger when he left than when he got there. He's been over some building projects and uh, has family here in the triad, and so next week you'll be able to meet him, and uh, you as a congregation will di discern if you, uh, along with the board, feel like that's what the Lord would have for your future, and uh, so we're excited about that. All boards aren't that way. Some boards remind me of a guy I was in school with. I'm a senior at Southern Wesley and in Central Wesley at that time, and we were sitting one day, and he said, now he'd been dating this girl five years, and he said, I'm thinking about giving her a pre-engagement ring after five years. He said, what do you think? I said, don't you think that's a little too fast? He said, you know, it may be. It may be. It may be too fast. Maybe, But uh, your board, uh, as I said, they prayed, they did interviews, and uh, came to this point. So thanks for that. I also want to thank you for uh, your, your faithfulness and your love for Beth Teege. I was talking with her yesterday, and she was just sharing how much it means what you have done for her, not just recently with her surgery and the love offering and the financial gifts which are exceptional but also the fact that you took her and bill in and and showed uh love and respect to them and and it, she was just overwhelmed by that and just so thank you for your faithfulness there before we read the scripture this morning let me tell you about a survey that gallup took now people don't know who gallup is now because everybody does surveys with the internet you can uh you can do surveys of everything. You can survey a city and say, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And find out immediately. Wasn't always that easy. Back, back in the day, as we'd say, you used to have to take a phone that was attached. Now, young people, Google this. You, I know you won't believe me. It was attached by a wire to the wall. And you would have to talk on a phone attached by a wire to the wall and call somebody on their phone that was attached by a wire to the wall and ask them questions. And so Gallup did one of his first worldwide surveys. So this went across 130 countries, 1,300 people. Now, he had this group of people set aside from an earlier survey, and these were people now, this is, might be of interest to us, these were people who had once attended church but stopped going. And his question to them was simple. What would it take... For you to return to church? Now, that's a relevant question today, right? I mean, after COVID, people are out, and we know it's not safe for some people to come, but we also know that we have people that were active in church that are still at Walmart and the restaurants, at sporting events and schools at work, but they've not returned to church. And so it's a relevant question. What would it take? And that ties into our, our passage this morning, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, if you have a red-letter Bible, you're going to notice, sometimes I think we think of Revelation as a video. We're just kind of watching a story. You're going to notice that these are the words of Jesus speaking, right? This is what he has to say. 
So Revelation chapter 2, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Jesus said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have treated those who claim to be apostles but are not, or you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good, right? Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, help us to understand what it means to be a church that loves you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. So what was the number one question or number one answer to the question that that Gallup asked? See, I would have thought people would say, well, the church needs to have ministries. They need to have preaching that's relevant to me. They need, I, I need to be able to go and I need to hear something that makes a difference in my life. I don't want to just hear a history lesson. That wasn't it. I would have thought maybe they said, I want worship that's my style. Now, it's my generation that kind of blew everything up because the boomers have decided that everything needs to be what they want. And so we've created generations of people that say, really, the main purpose of church is to do what I want and to do it the way I want it. But that wasn't it. I thought maybe they would say it's programs that mega churches have grown. You know, uh, our first church we served in, we were around the corner from what was a mega church, a church of about a thousand people. We'd get new people in and they would start coming and they would attend Sunday school. Our, our church had started at about 20 or 30. We were up to about 40 or 50. And we had like one class for primary kids and parents would say, we can go to the church down the street and they've got like a class for left-handed boys born in odd numbered months of even numbered years who, who have, you know, I mean, they just had every ministry you could think of. But that's not what the people said. They said what it would take for them to return to church was to see passion in the hearts and lives of the people who already attend church. In other words, they said, when we look at the people who walk into those buildings every day and walk back out, we don't really see that it makes that big of a difference in their lives. So if it doesn't make that big of a difference in their lives, why would we do it? Why would we invest that time? Now, because some of us, some of you are like my age or older, that'd be late 20s, right, or older. I'm just to see if you're here. All right, some of you be my age or older. You, you realize that you know, people always went to church and things like that. You, we have to realize there are generations of people now that when they ride by this morning and they see cars out here, it just occurs to them, I wonder why those people waste a couple hours a week. I mean, that's just what they think. That's how people see it. Because there's not the passion in God's people that was once there. Now, passion doesn't mean excitement and jumping up and down and, and just being, you know, the most 
you know, you, you know some people like that. You just feel like you want to kind of reach over and unplug them, right? I mean, they just kind of drive you. That's, that's not what it means. It means that there's something inside you that you cannot hide. I mean, even if you tried to, you cannot keep it down. And people realize that there's something different about you. And it's not really you, but it's who you know. It's the relationship you have. I remember meeting with some of our Hispanic pastors and they, they just had a retreat where 75 people came who felt they gave a call to the ministry and several people answered the call to the ministry. It was a powerful time and I was, I was like, this is amazing. And they said, but we have so much more to do. There are so many people to reach. And instead of just celebrating and saying, yeah, we did a great thing. They were like, there's so much more to do. There's so many people that don't know the Lord. I think about Pastor Cody who pastored till he was almost 90 years old on the reservation in Cherokee. He's a Native American for 50 years. Didn't, didn't make any salary, and he cared for people all over the reservation. His heart was broken because of what was happening there. And he did it not because he was an excitable person, not because he was a cheerleader, because there was something in his heart for the people that lived on the reservation that he believed they need to know Jesus. I think about a man in the church where I once served and he was like the most even kill guy you'd ever see I mean like if something blew up next to him he'd look over there and say wow that was loud you know the rest of us run out of there. I mean he just even kill even but he was always doing something at the church and uh, there was a time when the church had had a pastor back in their history that just wasn't very good at visiting and working with people and story was he got home one night and he had worked a 12-hour shift and he asked uh, somebody, how somebody had done that had surgery, they said, well, they didn't know the pastor didn't go visit him. So he gets cleaned up after a 12-hour shift and goes over and sits in this person's hospital room because he felt like they needed to have somebody that cared for him. I didn't know until his funeral that he had won the Purple Heart. He never bragged about things like that. There's just something inside him when you were around him and you just knew there was something deeper, something more. This church, according to Jesus, I mean, th this church was a serving church. He said, I know your deeds. Now, that's a scary thing for some people, but Jesus was saying it in a positive way. I know your deeds. I see what you've done. He, they, they were a, a serving church. He talked about the, the ways that they had served. They were a faithful church. Did you hear in there where he said there are false practices, but you stood against them? And if you go on, they were a suffering church. They had suffered. I mean, I mean, if you put a list up, they followed everything. And he said, even though you serve, and even though you have been faithful and steadfast, and even though you've suffered, you're doing it all out of ritual because there's something missing inside. You don't love me like you once did. He didn't say you don't love me. He just said it's not the same. We have to believe that the church has lost its influence in our culture because for the most part, the people of God don't have that same love that they once had because that's what transformed communities. It wasn't programming. It wasn't all this. People would just work next to a believer. They would live next to a believer. They would sit near a believer in school and they'd say, you know what, that person's not that good there's something about them. There's somebody they know, and I need to know that person. And then that's how they would end up coming to the Lord, because they'd see the difference he made in our lives. 
So what are some signs of passion? One is just a heart for service. I mean, I sit in, I'm in a different church every Sunday. And, and I watch sometimes as churches do announcements and somebody, either a lay person, the pastor gets up and, and begs for people to help with this feeding ministry or to serve in the nursery. And listen, I get the serving in the nursery. I, I went in the ministry so I wouldn't have to serve in the nursery. So I'd have something to do on Sunday morning, right? You know, I mean, I, but, but I mean, they're just saying we need this and we need that. And people all sitting there like, not us, not us. And so there, this, this whole, there's a desire for service. You know, and the, the word there actually has a picture because in, in their day, a slave, now this was even when they weren't owned anymore, when a slave chose to stay with the master, they would literally go and they would stand next to the post of the front door and they would put a nail through their ear. They would literally attach themselves. It was a sign of service. In other words, they were saying, this is not because we have to, this is because we want to. We are given to this. Somebody that loves to serve, to be the slave of the Lord. You would have a, a contagious attitude. Well, contagious is kind of a bad word after COVID, isn't it? Right? I mean, my goodness. I mean, I, I can, there, I mean, we, we're all, for a while, we're all looking at each other and things like that. Well, what was the point? We were afraid if we got too close to somebody or we were around them too long, we might catch what they had. Right? There are people that out of conviction used to stay away from the church because they're like, I don't want to catch what those people have because it just makes them radically different and I just want to keep being what I am. But when there's no passion, somebody can be around you, they can be next to you, they can be spiritually unmasked and in constant contact and never even be close to danger of catching what you have because there's got to be some kind of passion. You want to be contagious and, and, and pour it onto other people. It would be a dedication that was deep. I read several years ago that when they first made like, uh, and I'm not even going to look at my wife, she'll give me the eye because I know I'm getting this wrong and you're going to understand I'm not a cook. When they first made instant cake mix, right? You know, there's a way that Jesus, Jesus made cakes from scratch and flour and all that. But they made this instant cake mix, right? It flopped when it first came out. Because the direction said, just add water, bake the cake. And nobody bought that because they thought it can't be that easy. So then they changed the direction and said, just add water and some oil and an egg. Now that's baking, right? You've got enough stuff there. That's enough. So then everybody buys it because they say there's enough sacrifice in that. And so sometimes we go to people and we're like, hey, why don't you just kind of come to our church? You don't have to do anything. You can sit there. Nobody's going to ask. And people are like, that doesn't sound very enticing to me. That doesn't sound like there's much to it to me. It's a dedication. It is, I mean, every page of the Bible calls for dedication, calls for, for sacrifice and for more and, and, and what we can do. Abraham, what does he have to do? Leave. Leave your country. Noah, what is he going to do? Build. That doesn't sound bad to build, except he's got to build a boat in a place where it had never rained, so he's got to convince people that there's a flood coming. There's the faithfulness there. Moses, what does he got to do? He's got to deliver people, even though he can't speak. 
God says, I know you can't speak. I know you can't do these things. That's why it's going to work, because when they see you and know what you can't do, they'll know that somebody's with you that helps you do that. The disciples had to leave. David had to conquer. Elijah and Joshua had to choose. We go on and on and on. It calls for dedication and devotion again and again. Jesus said the shepherd would what? He would lay down his life for the sheep. You've probably seen this picture before. I, I wish I'd have brought it, but it, the sheep pen back in those days would be just a, a block wall that was in a circle, right? Can picture that in your mind. You've probably seen it before. Kind of like our fence, but because with blocks, they didn't, they didn't do it so much square. Just a circular block wall, maybe half the size of the sanctuary. But right where the sheep went in, like let's say this is the entrance, there was no door because the shepherd got the sheep in and then he laid down in the doorway to protect them. He laid there to make sure that all was safe. That was where he rested to protect them. So why do we lack passion? Let's, let's say that I'm partially right and we lack passion. I think one thing is we allow the holy to just become ordinary. I went to a church one time and I was new pastor there and it was early on and so I said something about communion I'll never forget this and they said well you know pastor we moved communion to, to Sunday night because it was just so much trouble on Sunday morning it took so long and the service got out late and I was like we what I mean what what do we have to do and I'm including the sermon the music and prayer that would be more important than serving the Lord's Supper. So we can scratch. I mean, we'd be better off just to have communion and do nothing else than to do all that other stuff. You know what happens in churches when we have a baptism service on a Sunday night? Attendance is as low as it can be. So you get all these visitors that have come to see, and the church people are like, oh, that's baptism. We've seen that before. When somebody's ready to stand up in front of others and say, I've given my life to Jesus, and this is my sign of that. For most people, that's an opt-out time. We're not going to have to worry about going to that service. I remember a baptism service. Uh, we had a church plant in Asheville. And uh, I went up, and, and uh, it was going to be in the river. So, uh, us, I'm from the mountains, so we mountain people. We, we do things, you know, kind of like original and all this. Actually, the church didn't have a baptistry. They rented their space on Sunday morning. So we're out in the French Broad River. So we go out on a section called Tunnel Road, and we're behind a motel that literally has been transformed into a home for veterans that were homeless. The hotel had closed and, and somebody had gone in. And so we, we kind of drive in behind. And, and I'll never forget during the baptism, this one veteran walked out. He wasn't part of the church. He wasn't part of the service. But the whole time during the baptism, he just stood there with his hand like that. That's, I mean, the whole service. What happens when we have it in church? People are like, oh, I don't have to, you know, it's a football game on tonight. Or I got to do this tonight. I gotta do... the, the, the point is, the things that are supposed to be holy and supposed to be different, we just kind of like, nah, that's ordinary. I can do that anytime. And so we've lost a sense of, of what really matters the most. Well, our Sunday school lesson this morning kind of taught us this. We'd rather have approval than action. You, you know what, what, what are Pilate and Herod doing? They're just sending Jesus back and forth because they don't want to have to have the blame for it. No, you take it. No, you, it's kind of like hot potato. You take it. You take it. 
Some of you that uh, are my age or older will remember a quarterback called Fran Tarkenton. Y'all remember? I couldn't stand Fran Tarkenton. My dad was a Vikings fan, and the reason I couldn't stand him is because he was so good. Every time my team would play him. So, like, a, 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 a godly quarterback just drops back a few steps and throws the ball. Well, this guy ran all over the field. Nobody could tackle him. Nobody could do anything with him. He was very annoying if you're playing against him. Do you know how he got his start? I didn't know this till a few years ago. He was the third-string quarterback at Georgia. And they were playing Texas, and they had just been worn out the whole game. They did not have a first down the whole game. It's the third quarter, and it's like third down. They're backed up against the end zone, and Tarkenton just went in the game. Nobody sent him in the game. The quarterback just saw him coming in. It's like, well, I don't want to send third stringer. Guess coach sent him. He went off. Tarkenton drives him down the field, and that's the beginning of the whole story. He didn't wait for somebody to say, oh, oh, would you go do this? Would you go do this? He just kept looking at it and said, somebody has to do something. And so he went in and he did it. Because he realized that something had to happen. I think the biggest reason that we lack passion is because we've allowed our passion to be misplaced. So... When I was a real pastor in the church, before they had enough sense to say, well, he's messed up enough churches, let's put him as a DS, and he just goes once every two years. He can't harm a church that much, right? Yeah, that's... So when I was a pastor in a real church, uh, people would say to me, you know, pastor, you talk about this and witnessing to people. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not an expressive person. I'm, I'm not a passionate person. If I, if I mentioned something like this, I'd say, you know, I'm not an extrovert. And I'd say, really? Let me ask you this. If you're driving down the road, you get out here on Main Street, and, you go, and somebody pulls right out in front of you. And you know, have you ever noticed how the people that have enough boldness to pull out in front of you then go really slow? I've never figured that out. I'm, you, and they pull right out in front of you and go slow. Do you look at your spouse and say, you know, I'd get upset about that, but I'm not a passionate person. I'm a pretty even kill. Or are you beating on the dashboard, blowing the horns, throwing your hands up? What are you doing? Then you come to church and say, I, 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 I'm just not a passionate person. I just I don't really get into that. Have you ever watched men watch a football game or a race on TV? I mean, they are yelling at the TV, right? Stop running the ball, throw the ball, or take the inside. And they're yelling. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this. They can't hear you. You, you do realize that, don't you? But they stand there and they're yelling. And then they come to church and you say, we do that. Well, you know, I just, I, I'm just kind of a quiet person. I'm just, we're, we're pa everybody's passionate about something. And passionate doesn't just mean yelling and expressing, but everybody's passionate about something. It's just fewer people than ever are passionate about serving the Lord and saying He means more to us than anything else. So how do we get our passion back? I think there's a couple of things. I could I could name three or four, but in sake of time, let me name a couple. One is we have to realize that it's our job to tend our own fire. Now, 
listen, this is a worship service, right? And we come here to worship together. And part of it is there's something that happens in this room, and I'm glad we have online, but it can't happen online necessarily. But there's something we, we hear from people that if we know they've been through a struggle and they share how the Lord's helped them. We sit in Sunday school classes together. We, we kind of hear that. But some people think of church as I'll go in on Sunday morning, and if the pastor can somehow summon a halfway decent sermon, I'll get fueled up from the rest, the rest of the week. But if that's how you see church, you don't understand the Word of God. Because that's not what it... The church is for us to come together and worship. We, we have to, to tend our own fire. Now, I grew up, as I said, in the mountains. We heat our house with wood. We had heat. We had electric heat. My dad pulled all the fuses out as soon as we moved in. Said, that's too expensive. We're going to heat with wood. Since I was the only guy, my, my brother was born 17 years later when suddenly it was fine to heat with electricity. But then we, I was the only guy, so what we had to do is, is you know, uh, I'd split the wood, carry the wood in, because my dad worked all the time. And what I learned before too long was it's a whole lot easier to keep a fire going than it is to let it go out and try to start it all over again. And so if we kind of let it go out Wednesday or Thursday and come back in and get it started on Sunday morning, we have lost it. I mean, we need to be in the Word and listening to worship music. Whatever kind it, it means to us, listen to, to other. We, we need to be in that. We need to be in groups of people together where we can see what God's doing. And we take care of our own fire and we realize, yes, there's instruction and, and things that come on Sunday morning. But the purpose of Sunday morning is not to just get us geared back up. The purpose is to come and celebrate what God's done and get our vision together. And then we have to recognize the source of passion. The source of passion is not your personality. I know, it, it, as I've shared today, some of you say, well, you, you're kind of an extrovert. It's easy for extroverts to be passionate. Oh. Passion does not come to introverts or extroverts. Now, it gets expressed in different ways. The source of passion is the relationship that we have with the Lord. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. We're told when you counted on God, you defeated the superior armies. Depend on yourself and you'll lose to an inferior king. Passion is not something we can get on our own. It doesn't matter how good you are. Passion is only something that you can have when you have the direct connection to the Father. And you keep it bright. There was a guy that pitched for the Dodgers. Sorry, ladies. I know that's, that's like two sports analogies in one day. That's why they threw me out of the church, made me go to a different church every Sunday, right? So there was a guy named Oral Hershiser. I couldn't stand him. I, I, did, I disliked him more than Fran Tarkin. He pitched for the Dodgers. If there's some Dodger fans here, the Lord loves you and has a plan for your life, and maybe he can help you somehow. I don't know how I can help you. But anyway, he pitched for the Dodgers. In this one year, 1988, he was so good. I realize I've lost every Viking fan and Dodger fan in the place already. I, I realize that. So he was so good. He, and, and, and I won't bore you with statistics except to say, basically, nobody, could, when you put him in, that was it. The other team couldn't hit. I mean, he had so many innings in a row that the other team did not score a run. And that's the point, right? You don't want the other team to score a run. It's like you put him in, game's over. 
I mean, it happened all year. They end up winning the World Series. He ended up winning all the awards because he was just that good that year. Couldn't stand it. They called him the Bulldog, but he looked like a Pekingese to me. You know, he just kept there. Kind of this, this little, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, how to, kind of like a little professor-looking guy. He shouldn't even be playing ball. He needs to have like a big beard or something like that, you know. And he's up there, and he just... In the playoffs, during one time, they, they happened, it was right in the middle of a the game, they zoomed in on the camera, and they could tell that he was singing. They couldn't tell, they were like, is he, you know, because he's kind of sitting there, and he's looking straight ahead, and they're not talking. They're like, what's he singing? And like, I don't know, so they forget about it. And after the playoffs, he's, he is uh, uh, on, on one of these late-night shows, and he said, by the way, they said, we noticed in the playoffs that you were singing. It seems a little odd, and you're in the middle of this great sports battle in the World Series, the, the, the height of baseball, that like you're singing during that time. I mean, what, what's the deal with that? And he said, well, it's just something that it, it just kind of centers me, reminds me who I am. Keeping. They said, well, what was the song? He said, it, it, you know, it's probably one you don't know. And so they don't, why don't you, why don't you sing it for us? Which, you know... And he begins to sing the song. And you know what the song is? It's a song I think all of you know, despite your age. He begins to sing the words, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So now, young people, that I've given you illustrations from back when the horse and buggies roamed the earth. Let me see if I can get something more focused. How about something that's happening right now? You've probably seen the story about the man who probably has more focus than anybody else in the world on him right now, who was a comedian and played on the TV show as like a guy that became president and then he actually got elected president. And he really hadn't done, if you look at his accomplishments, uh, most of us probably had not heard of Vladimir Zelensky. I, most of us can't say it. I probably just butchered it. But his country's under attack now. And just the other day, maybe what, yesterday or day before, many of their leaders had been out of the country because they take the leaders out of danger so that, it, that when things get stabilized, they can bring them back in to lead again. And they said to him, look, we, we're going to offer you, we're going to take you out of the country. You heard what he said, didn't you? He said, I don't need a ride, I need ammo. There's something in that man's heart that says, this country matters to me. There's something, and, and everybody is just, I mean, even people that don't like him, they, even, they're just like, what kind of person can be that passionate? Listen, we have a country and I'm not talking about the United States of America. We have a country where we're headed. And we're supposed to love it so much that we tell other people about it. That we say to people, I can't wait to get to my final destination. To be able to spend this time with the Lord. You see, there's something about passion. And, and again, I think we see it in in his life, and, and I'm not saying he's a great Christian. You're not hearing me. I'm talking about the, the thing of passion. What we're seeing is somebody that says, there's something that matters to me. And look at the difference that it's making 
It's literally turned a whole country around. I saw where there was there were ladies like, what do you mean ladies have to leave? We can fight too. Give us guns. They got an 80-year-old guy says, what's this 18 to 60 stuff? I can still fire. I can still fight. And it's all because this person said, wait a minute. I'm not leaving here. This is my home. This is my country. There's something about passion that changes other people. The question is, what are we passionate about? Because if we're passionate about him, we have that opportunity to make a difference. We're going to sing our closing song. You guys go ahead and come. I want to have just a word of prayer while they're coming. Why don't we stand together? You join me as we close. Father, thank you for churches that are serving churches. Thank you for churches that are sacrificing churches. Thank you for churches that are faithful to the end, even willing to suffer for your sake. But Lord, what we need more than anything else are churches and people who are just madly in love with you, who can't wait to be in your house to worship together, tell, tell other people about you, to tell other people about the difference you've made in their life. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be a people where you would look and say, they love me as much as they did the day they met me. As you do that, we're going to be careful to give you thanks. For we pray it in your name. Amen.
fashioned into a world that is in such despair. And as we do, we'll be thankful for how you help us share with others your love. Christ's name, amen.